Woo! <laughs> Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence, <laughs> young and old, gather round. Everybody hail the new king in town, baby. It is the Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Sabzu, the rated R woo, radio star, the thriller that is Sabzilla, baby. And I am ready for you. <laughs> it is our Q and our, our December live hangout Q&A. Doing it early this month. You know, later in the month, things are going to be busy. Hell, things are busy right now. But, you know, got want to get it in. And, uh, you, you know, that way I'm not not rushing to do a bunch of stuff at the end of the month. Um, I'm actually looking to get a lot of various episodes and content that you expect from me as Sovereign Tech patrons, as executive producers of this fine program. I want to make sure you're getting taken care of at all times. And that's what I'm going to be doing. Uh, whoo. So anyway, uh, after not long after I am done with this Q and A, you will finally get your November user podcast, uh, which I just had uh, someone demo and they thought it sounded fantastic. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm pleased with it. I'm going to get it out there. I'll tell you, it's a hard podcast to do because it's not one where I want to be wrong because I want it to be done. And I want, I mean, if, if science ends up proving things wrong within it later on, okay, you know, fine, but I want it to be as accurate as possible on the money and, uh, you know, and then have a little bit of fun with it. So anyway, that'll be coming up to you uh, later tonight and hopefully also your Sovereign Tech Prime uh, episode, the very first, okay, the very first one hour version of the show um, will be, or, you know, new, not very first because it used to be one hour. I uh, got a lot of great response from that. People saying, no, we think that's a great idea. And I was, I was really, really pleased to hear that. Uh, and also did get some patrons, I think, out of the fact. But anyway, that'll hopefully come out tonight, too. Uh, if not, it'll definitely be out tomorrow night. So, uh, of course, if you want, you can get your question is your questions in on the uh, the YouTube live chat. If you're in there, uh, let's see. Actually, we're already getting some questions in. Um, I love long podcasts, but I understand your decision. Thank you very much for that. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to make I, I, I think this is going to end up being a great thing uh, for everybody. So, yeah, looking forward to, to that. But um, anyway, so. Let's see. What's the other one? Oh, are you hyped about the PS five? Yeah. I just kind of heard about this, that this is really going to be a thing that, yeah, I assume you mean the PlayStation five, not persona five or something, which I don't know if we're up to, per- are we up to persona five now? Probably. Fuck. You know, Oh, I, I found, I knew about this before, but what was it? PPSPP, right? That's, um, and if you go to the website, ppspp.org, I don't think it's two S's in the middle, but it's the PSP emulator for Windows and Android. I already had it for years for Android because I think it did more than just the PSP. Um, but I finally got the Windows version running on it and fucking A, you know, threw in like the Gradius collection and everything. And, and it's, it's pretty slick. Like it's to the point, just about any game I threw at it, it could play any PSP game um, out there. Now you might be saying, who gives a shit about the PSP? Well, I don't blame you, but you know, at the same time, if it's for free, there's some games that are worth having on there. <laughs> Otherwise, if you had to pay for it, I don't think it's worth it. Uh, and of course, if you notice, if you look, I'm actually, I'm wearing my PlayStation shirt. Um, we're not going to talk all video games on this one. Don't worry. Or at least, I mean, if you want to, you know, you can take control of the program and, and talk about whatever you want. Uh, but yeah, just so you know, like the the play the PlayStation Classic, it just keeps getting worse. Like the news that keeps coming out about that. I don't know. I might talk about it again in the next Game Talk episode. Of course, you have to be a five dollar patron to get access to that, as well as the user podcast right now. Uh, for right now, anyway. But um, yeah. The- <laughs> 
like the news just keeps getting worse with this thing. The reviews, the honest reviews, which are the bulk of them uh, for once are just brutal on this fucking thing. And it seems well-deserved. I mean, and for a hundred bucks, it's, it really is crazy. So it, I don't know what the sales numbers are. I can't wait to find out, but, uh, but we'll see. Um, someone just said in the, in the chat can only play uh, metal gear, solid portable ops on PSP. Yeah, there's, there's a, there's a few metal gear, solid games, um, on PSP. And that's kind of the only place you can play them. That's the thing. There's some games like Mega Man, Maverick Hunter, and, and some other ones like th- that's the only system they ever really, uh, uh, came out on, or even like the sequel to, uh, um, to Jeff, to Def Jam, New York, what was it, the takedown or something? You could only play that on there. Uh, there's a lot of games that you could only play on the P or there's a few anyway, uh, or like the, fi- the, the, was the final fantasy four complete collection on PSP. That's perfect, you know, and, and it's tough to get that anywhere else where it has like all the different parts put into it so yeah really really cool system when you emulate it but uh we we mentioned what that was uh either it's like uh, oh and so another person said in the youtube, YouTube chat i will not play any new metal gear solid games ouch <laughs> well, anyway um something uh something else to bring up that i know well a couple things that i'll mention again feel free to get in all your questions on the youtube chat if you want or you can join the actual hangout if you wish uh this is kind of a funny thing so every once in a while now, I keep finding new resources to find the really hard-to-get music that I, I'm looking for at any given moment. and But sometimes, you know, you got to go to Amazon or wherever, and, you know, whoever happens to have the album, and you might have to actually purchase. I know this is going to, you know, clutch the pearls. You might have to buy a CD. Now, I noticed something weird recently, okay? There was there was a specific album that I was looking for by a, it's not really a band. I forget the guy's name, Nick something. Nick Phoenix, I think his name might be. What a badass name. He He's the head of, uh, or, or he's kind of the main brain, I think, behind what's called immediate or immediate music, which is like this trailer music that gets either it's something that he just or that immediate music will it will produce and doesn't end up getting used anywhere else and they just sell it as an album or it's something that actually is in a trailer of something like a movie trailer or tv spot or even something played you know honestly at a you know like at a soccer game or something and and, and they are there so i was looking for a specific album by them that i couldn't really find anywhere else i do have the bulk of their collection and i was like oh shit well i guess i have to go to you know i have to go to amazon to find this and I'm looking at it, you know, like it gave me, it came up with it and it said, and this, this is the funny thing. And this has happened to me a couple times over the years. And, and I just, I, I don't grasp this at all. Okay. Like, like the economics around this just don't make any fucking sense. So you, they had the MP3s, which is what I would prefer. I don't need, you know, my shelves don't need to be stocked uh, with anything like, and, and I don't want them to. Okay. Uh, especially right now. So like, <laughs> just not interested. So I don't want a CD. I really don't. Okay. I want, you know, if I could just get the MP3s at like 192 or I think Amazon offers them at 320, you know, fine. Okay. I'll take that and then I'll put it on my NAS and in a way I go, but they had the MP3s and the MP3 album, not a long album either was 1099. Now, whatever. I mean, that's certainly better than what we used to pay for music back in the, you know, the eighties and nineties when we buy a CD that would cost literally 20 bucks or more. And the funny thing was that, so the MP3 album was 1099 for this album by immediate music, the CD itself that you could buy the physical CD brand new 
you know, still wrapped and everything. And I can tell you, it's right, I have it right here. It's right next to me. Okay. It's still packaged up. It's not, this wasn't some, like, it wasn't something coming from a third or if it was coming from a third party dealer, it didn't really matter because it was brand new, but it came with prime. So it must've been in one of Amazon's warehouses. The CD was only, was an add-on item, right? So you have to spend up to like 25 bucks for an add-on item to get shipped to you was an add-on item that only cost like $3, literally $3. And the MP3 was 10.99. Now, now here, <laughs> but wait, there's more. <laughs> okay. Not only, all right, did the CD cost a third, less, more than a third, like a, like a quarter of the price of the MP3s. And there weren't like extra MP3s that came with it either. I, I looked into that. You know, sometimes there's bonus tracks, maybe because it's digital. That happens a lot with iTunes, right? It wasn't that. So not only, you know, was that a quarter of the price, but here's the rub. Amazon has this thing called like, like instant rip or something like that, where when you buy a physical CD, now this isn't true for everyone that you buy from them, but I think if it's one that Amazon, I guess, has in stock and has some kind of license with, if you buy the C or I think it's auto rip, I think that's what they call it. If you buy this, the physical CD, they will add the MP3s to your Amazon MP3 library for you to download. So you can get the music right away, and then you just have to wait a couple days for the CD to come. But you could still start listening to the MP3s, right? So here's the goddamn funny thing. <laughs> if, if, you already, if you haven't figured it out yet, is that you can get the MP3 version of the album, which is normally $10.99, and the CD for for a quarter of the price of just buying the mp3 album now this happens like over and over again and including it's also usually like with add-on items um there was like a starship greatest hits uh or platinum and gold it was it was this very interesting series of greatest hits that were getting sold throughout the uh the, the mid aughts uh where there would be like extra live tra- live tracks and some other things they're actually worthwhile getting anytime you have an artist who has a platinum and gold like that's actually the name of it platinum and gold uh uh, greatest hits album you want that platinum and gold greatest hits album because it has oftentimes some really exclusive shit uh and so you know but but the same thing happened where okay two days later i got the brand new fucking cd that i'm just going to resell like on ebay okay and you know make the money off of it and i'll sell it for more than amazon was, was selling it for because it's brand new i don't have to open it because amazon auto ripped the cd for me and gave me the mp3s that's perfect all right but, but i don't get it I, I don't understand how does that work you know, especially when you, and same thing with that Starship, Greatest Hits, was Amazon was offering the actual album for like $8.99, but I got it for $2. You know, the physical fucking CD, I, I don't know, maybe it's just liquidating stock and somehow that makes sense for them on an economic level. It's the weirdest goddamn thing in the world, uh, but something to look out for. Like, even if you think you don't want the physical CD, see if it does auto rip on Amazon and just buy the physical CD and, and hell, if you want. Download the MP3s and return the CD to the Amazon. <laughs> if you just want to get the money back. Because <laughs> you can download the MP3s right to your computer, and then you got them forever. I mean, the Amazon, at least not yet, they can't reach into your computer and take your MP3s away from you, you know, as long as you keep them stored elsewhere. And they're certainly not getting their hands on my NAS. Fuck them. Uh, but anyway, just just a really, really funny story that, uh, that I, I mean, I don't get it. It's happened multiple times. I, I, I got to grasp the economics of this. Sometime I'll figure it out. 
let's see. So let's look in the YouTube chat here quick. And we've got, uh, I will stop at Metal Gear Solid 5 if I ever get to it. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's referencing, uh, you know, the Metal Gear Solid conversation. Um, on this new podcast, are you going to still have those special guest podcasts where you and guest hosts discuss philosophical issues? Um, if you're meaning, well, I have guest hosts sometimes on, uh, on the one hour, uh, Sovereign Tech Prime episodes. Yeah. I, I still plan on having, you know, guests and, and co-hosts. In fact, in the new intro that I was cooking up, it, it makes reference to co-hosts. So that's still going to be a thing, but everyone's schedule has just been absolutely fucking insane. Uh, honestly, since the fall started. So it's been tough to really make that work. Uh, I mean, my, my schedule is bad enough, you know, to say nothing of anyone else. So um, let's see. Okay. What's the name of the, of that post quantum computing book you stated that you have read? Um, I think it was, I think the actual title of it was just post post quantum cryptography. I, I, I think that was the name of it. I, I could, I would have to look that up. Um, in fact, I'll type it in quickly and I'll just keep talking here while I do so. You know, there's a new, you're going to hear a little, there's my, there's my mic arm. Um, there is a new, believe it or not, Blade Runner animated series coming out uh, next year, which is kind of perfect, right? If you're a Blade Runner fan, you know the deal. Like for a Blade Runner show to come out or anything Blade Runner to come out in 2019 is perfect. Why? Because 2019 is when the first movie, like that's the year that that movie took place in. <laughs> so fantastic um i think it's just going to be called blade runner 2032 and it's going to take place between obviously the original blade runner and between blade runner 2049 um it's being done by the same guy that made the animated short for blade runner 2049 which was called blade runner 2022 or no i'm sorry the show's not gonna be called blade runner 2032 it's gonna take place in 2032 but it's actually called blade runner black lotus it's by that Watanabe guy who I think did Cowboy Bebop or whatever. It's going to be on Adult Swim and, and Crunchyroll and all that. Uh, yeah, so the book is actually post-quantum cryptography. It's from Springer. Uh, Daniel J. Bernstein uh, wrote it. So if you're wondering what the what the quantum cryptography book was that I read, um, I'm yeah, that's the one. I'm pretty sure it was the one by Bernstein there, even though there might be newer editions of it. Um, that is the book. So anyway, yeah, excited for a uh, new Blade Runner. I'll, I'll take anything Blade Runner. Um, I know not everyone agrees with me on that, but, but I'm excited for it. Uh, actually, if you look, you can, I don't think you can see it on the camera. I'm, I'm, I'm going to point at it, and it's right under my USS Franklin uh, uh, plaque, but I have a spinner from Blade Runner 2049. I just, I'm just pointing at it now. My finger's right there. And that's actually a little car. The camera is a little fuzzy when it gets into that angle, so you can't exactly see it. But anyway, um, boy, I, you know, this is just the BDSM studios is just a cave of wonders. I mean, that's, that's, that's really the, the reality of the situation. Um, so anyway, yeah, excited for this new Blade Runner. Uh, I think it's going to be like 10 episodes, 10 or 12 episodes. They said that it would end up being, I don't know that it's going to have a second season or anything like that. It does just make sense to throw money at something Blade Runner to come out in 2019. I would expect it to come out in 2019. I mean, 
I think everybody, there hasn't been an official release date, but I think everybody's expecting 2019 for, you know, very obvious reasons. Again, because that's the year that uh, the original Blade Runner film, the absolute science fiction classic, what some people consider to be the greatest science fiction movie ever made. Uh, that's the year that that entire story um, took place in. So I think that that's, uh, that's pretty cool. But uh, let's see. Have you seen the new comic adaptation of William Gibson's Alien 3 script? Yeah, I have issue number one. Um, I I have not uh, I have not read it yet, but I do have issue one. I caught that. Uh, so we'll see. You know, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see what that ends up being, um, because that that movie was a uh, was a bit of a. <laughs> I'm not the biggest fan of Alien 3. I, Alien and Aliens. Fantastic. I love the Alien universe overall. I, I actually really enjoy Prometheus. Um, obviously I love the predator films and so on. I really like that whole universe. And, and I agree with the, you know, it's something we've talked about before, um, on, on sovereign tech episodes somewhere where, you know, there's really, you know, Ridley Scott came out who of course did the first alien. Um, you know, he came out and said, he's like, why isn't this as big as star Wars? There's no reason that these movies shouldn't be as big as star Wars. He's totally right. I think he's absolutely fucking right. You know, about that, um, that, that, that those should be that big of a deal um but they're not so anyway let's see did you hear about the new ghost in the shell adaptation um no i haven't i have not heard about that uh ghost in the shell like i get it and that was that was a real oh what's the what's the term i'm looking for not icon that, that was that was a big deal like in in the 90s late 90s um in america you know, like that was one of the things that was before that was when the anime invasion was really happening. Right. Dragon Ball Z and all that stuff was on Cartoon Network. Um, Ghost in the Shell was one of those things. I just the thing I remember from Ghost in the Shell, the first movie, uh, the animated one, not the one with uh, Scarlett Johansson. The thing I remember when I and I guess I was a teenager when it first came over to the States and I saw it was like it just opens up with this this really weird, like like the music in it is I mean, it's Japanese, you know, balls to bone. But it just opens up with this, like, like this really weird fucking, and it was so jarring. I remember watching it, and I think I was might might have even been in my apartment or something. But I remember watching it, just go, "What the fuck," <laughs> you know. So, uh, so I like Ghost in the Shell. Fine. Um, I'm not like I'm not the biggest fan uh, of it. It's not like the first thing I run to uh, when I go to watch anime. You know, it's not Sailor Moon or anything for me. But uh, but right now I'll, I'll look into it. I always catch you know whatever's latest with uh, with a lot of the big franchises as far as um you know as far as anime goes. Uh, let's see another comment here. Alien Three is greater than Alien Resurrection. Absolutely. And I bring up Alien. I love talking about Alien Resurrection. I saw that in theaters. goddammit. it. And that movie, honestly. I mean, it sucks pretty hard, and I love talking about it because everybody thinks Joss Whedon is fucking God, and I'm like, yeah, no, that's the guy that made Alien Resurrection. You talk to me about being him being God. Okay, right, exactly. <laughs> Fuck him. <laughs> uh, let's see. Do you buy the theory that Hollywood that Hollywood is making movie remakes to appeal to a larger Chinese audience market? I don't know if that's why they're making remakes. I haven't exactly heard that theory. Um, I do think that, and I, I've talked about this before. I think what was there? There was a movie with Matt Damon called the great wall. Um, and, and when I talked to, when I did the review of that, I did talk about how I think that a lot of critics in America, a lot of moviegoers in America don't understand that a lot of movies today, I don't know about the remakes, but certainly a lot of movies today are not being made for them. 
they are not the target audience. Okay. Americans are not the target audience, nor are Europeans, nor is the fucking West, whatever the fuck that means. Okay. You know, Western civilization is not the point. The, the real, you know, real audience that they're going for is the Chinese market. Okay. Absolutely. And of course that makes sense because, you know, like what are, <laughs> what are you constantly hearing the MPAA and whoever else complaining about in America and Europe? They're complaining about piracy, right? Now, not to say that that doesn't happen in China, okay? But in China, there is, there's this real, like, I almost want to call it iPhone syndrome, okay? Where there is this prestige that comes with owning things that are American or things that are American. And if you want to, in fact, I've heard other people talk about this before. Like if you're, if you're, you know, I'm just going to call it like it is. If you're a white guy in China, you can actually make money just hanging around Chinese people because you're that Chinese person will be considered really fucking cool. Just having a white guy around them. You understand? I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that that's how it works there. So when you have these American made films with big name American actors, like one of the hot things to do is to take your gal to the movie theaters there. Okay. And impress them by having them see like this new breed of film that is clearly being targeted, that is stylized towards the Chinese market. Okay. So now as to where in America, what's the cool thing to shine on a gal, right? Or, or guy or Z or whatever. The cool thing to do is to not have to go to the movie theater and have them watch it with you at home, right? And be like, oh, yeah, I got my Cody box here. I got my pirate box, whatever. And check this shit out. And we're going to watch a movie for free. The exact opposite in China. <laughs> okay, that, that's, that's the deal. You know, and again, not to say that piracy doesn't happen there. It most certainly does. But there's, there's again, a, a level of prestige that comes with that, that in America just doesn't exist. Like there's no real prestige in the only prestige you get in, in going to the movies in America is if you're going to a red carpet premiere, right? You know, if you're actually going to see a, you know, a major film uh, there, that's, you know, like, like that, that is on opening night and all the, you know, the, the director and the actors and everybody are, are, are fucking there. That's the only prestige in going to cinema today. Okay. And, and that's a major problem that, a lot of movie theaters are, you know, honestly dealing with, um, today. And, you know, I mean, it, it's even more than that. Like I think part of, and this is something I don't think people consider as far as American cinema goes. And I don't mean American movies. I mean, Amer I mean, it, it, it affects American movies, but I'm talking about the bottom line, the dollar signs that affect the movie theater. Things have changed, uh, you know, with like, say younger people. Okay. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing, uh, necessarily. And, and, you know, I'm not going to get into specific ages or whatever, you know, whatever. I'm just saying that younger people, okay. Uh, don't have to go to the movie theater anymore because of certain cultural shifts in America, which largely I think are okay. They, they don't have to go to the movie theater to make out with a gal or to do whatever the hell they want to do with the gal. Like, People are just kind of seemingly more accepting of what, whatever that, that stuff goes down. That's all I'm going to say about it. But let's be clear here that a lot of what was pushing the drive-ins, what was pushing movie theater going by younger people and so on. And, and again, not talking ages. It was the fact that it was just a place to get away from the parents. And I can speak to this personally. I, you know, I'll say for me, and I don't even mean with gals, like with actually me going to the movies 
me and gals going to the movies very unique animal okay <laughs> like I, i'm very different as far as this goes and this surprises people like if i wanted to get it on with a gal the last place i would go to would be the theater would be the movie theater why because if i'm going to the movie theater you know i'm i'm a cinephile i take movies pretty fucking seriously i want to see the fucking movie you know <laughs> like, like, like i mean this ain't no time for bullshit uh, I mean, I'm, you know, you might have a little fun in the movie theater, but I'm not going to go, you know, whole hog or anything, you know, while, while I'm in, in the movie theater. Okay. But at the same time, when I was really young, like the best thing in the world was that, you know, when I, I mean, when I'm talking like when I was like 10, 11, 12 and going, you know, up in ages on that is like my mother would say, oh yeah, go ahead and go see hackers. Go ahead. That's the first movie I ever really saw in theaters alone. Yeah. Go ahead and see Batman and Robin. Go ahead and go see mortal Kombat. Go ahead and, you know, and go see these things. And they were moments of freedom because my mother felt it's like, well, he's going to be staying in the theater. He'll be fine. But she left me alone. And that was such a powerful fucking experience, you know, to be able to, to, to do that. But then also that's another thing too, is that a lot of parents, I mean, the flip side of you not needing to go to the movie theater to get it on with your best gal is that your parents also don't trust leaving their kids alone anywhere anymore. So there are, there's some real money being lost <laughs> I mean, by, by movie theaters just because of cultural shifts that have happened here. And that's to say nothing of the entirety of what's going on, you know, within China that we were describing where it's, again, it's a matter of prestige of taking someone to go see an American movie. It doesn't, it, it doesn't impress, you know, uh, anyone in China, if you can just stream the movie to your home, nobody wants to be at home, you know, because a lot of the, well, I'm not going to go down that road. Okay. I know I have, I have actually have Chinese listeners. Okay. And I'm not going to insult anything, but you get my point. So, yeah, that's that's what I think. I You know, as far as the making movie remakes to appeal to China, I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe that's part of it. I think that really just comes down to that's more of a demographic. Um, what What is this like, like a demographic circle? Like, uh, I know it's a horrible name for this guy, but there's actually an economist who I'm a bit of a fan of his name. Is, he's not he's not anarcho capitalist or anything like that, but I think he's right regardless. Um, his name's Harry Dent. And I think he wrote a book called the demographic cliff. I haven't talked about it in a long time. It came out a few years ago, maybe like 2014 or maybe, maybe a little before that, but he has this whole theory that there's like this demographic cycle where you can continually like reintroduce things kind of every generation. You can just keep reintroducing and reintroducing. And so the purpose of remakes now, in my opinion, are, uh, you know, movie remakes that, that the Hollywood's pushing out there. Or even, fuck, cartoons or, or, or TV shows or something, you know, that reboot or something, is that now you have, you know, the money-making demographic are is the people that, you know, grew up with, I don't know, what's a remake out there right now? take take your pick of, of the fucking remake i don't know maybe predator you know like like the the bottom line being there is there is a demographic that now are the main spenders within american society okay and you're going to appeal to their sense of nostalgia all right and maybe they'll take their kids to introduce them to something that they love i mean that argument comes up all the time it's like oh it's so wonderful i get to take my kids to see something that i enjoyed when i was a kid and we get to connect over that I guess, I don't know. There's something about that, 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 that gives me uh that gives me a bit of a bellyache that I don't like. There's something weird there. Okay. Um, I mean, it's better than usually what gets slept onto children as far as entertainment uh, today, 
but some of these remakes are fucking horrible. Like uh, how dare you say you want to, you know, watch Thundercats roar with your, with your little kid for fuck's sake. Don't introduce them to the Thundercats that way. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the 20 year rule. Sure. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's kind of similar to this demographic cycle that occurs. Um, so I think it's far more, it's far more that, you know, uh, like, I mean, just like in, Oh, let's see. Well, you know, the aughts are the oddity in that, right? Here's another thing too, that I was actually thinking about, uh, the Smurfs remake was horrible. Yeah. I, I don't doubt that for, uh, for, for a second. I, I can't imagine that was very Smurfy. Um, but here's another thing that I've been thinking about uh, recently too. And well, it, it kind of escaped. Let's see. I remember all of the seventies nostalgia in the nineties. Yeah, exact. That was, that's what I was going to get to was the, was the seventies nostalgia or like, even like the, like the, everybody was wearing like flower child shit in the early nineties and everything. And the stuff just like cycles and bell bottoms came back for a little bit. Uh, transformers. Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. You, yeah. Bingo. <laughs> Which is funny because every time they try to do something new with transformers, some other medium comes out that just, that just tries to, to stick with generation one, the original transformers cartoon that everybody loves and myself included. Uh, it's because they know, I mean, that, that shit's even though it was just sadly a commercial for, uh, you know, a 30 minute commercial for toys. Um, somehow, People slipped in to, to, to make it, to make it something special, something good. Um, so, okay. The, the point I wanted to get to with this kind of the cultural aspect around entertainment. So the aughts, okay. You know, the year 2001, we'll say to whatever, 2011, I don't know. The aughts, like, tell me the style of the aughts maybe musically you could think of a few things right like you'd have a lot of really depressing maybe butt rock or something like that that was like a a signature of the aughts uh maybe rap was kind of a bigger deal but like the styles and a lot of other things they're really like the the aughts seems to be the decade of nothing as to where you know with the six the 50 the 40s the 50s 60s 70s like you can point all of them out and you know, they have defining characteristics of them. The aughts seems to not have any defining characteristics. And what I think happened is that when the aughts came around, this is when massive, really massive data collection through the internet, uh, you know, became a thing. Okay. This massive data collection. And I think, and this is when algorithms started to come into play, smartphones start to come into play and so on. I think a major problem that's occurring within entertainment and media in general is that they have, and people talk about this with pop music all the time where pop music they found, and and this, this part's a fact with pop music. They have found what's pretty much like the formula to make a hit. Like there is a literal formula. This is how you make the song. This is what you have the song do and so on. And it's more or less going to be a hit. It's going to hit those notes. Okay. In the human brain, or something that makes it a thing. I think movie-wise, Marvel, for example, um, there is a formula has more or less been discovered, okay, of what to do, be it mixing in some nostalgia and, you know, a few other elements and all this. Everything has become very formulaic, or not everything, but a lot of things have become very formulaic. And we're, we're losing the very risky things that or the risky stuff that would go on forever. That, uh, well, for example, here in 2000, um, in fact, I'll, here, I'll hold up the CD. I was actually, this is a soundtrack I was listening to recently. People can <laughs> make fun of me all you want. I enjoyed it. Um, 
and that is Titan AE. Okay, this is a movie that came out in the year 2000. In the year 2000, right? In the year 2000, this movie came out. It's an animated film. Maybe, it, I mean, it's certainly one of the best animated movies ever made. It might be the most, in my opinion, the most beautiful animated film ever made, uh, or at least really up there. It's done by Don Bluth. I don't know if it was Don Bluth's last movie. Of course, he's a guy famous for doing Space Ace and, uh, and Dragon's Lair, you know, those games and everything. Um, but, you know, he would also, he did Secret of Nim, right? And, and so on, like all these really risky, wild uh, uh you know, animated features, be they games or movies or whatever the fuck they are. Okay. You know, we're never going to get this again. We're never going to get Titan A, anything like Titan AE again, where it's just this really risky new property. And I mean, Titan AE didn't do very well in theaters as I understand it. I mean, it was a little rough. I thought the, I think the movie is fantastic. I, I saw it in theaters. I still think it's fantastic. I have the fuck. I mean, you can't even get a Blu-ray. I have the fucking DVD. If the, even if they released the Blu-ray, the DVD would probably be better. Uh, you know, we're just, we're, we're never going to get this kind of shit again because no one's willing to take risks anymore because now they feel like that there's this kind of like, there's this algorithm and there's this specific math that you can run through in the entertainment industry that you put together and you're guaranteed a return, be it by foreign investors, which would include, you know, what you could do with the Chinese market or, you know, as far as like what you would actually pitch more towards American audiences of a certain age, you know, who have gotten to a certain age and have a family and all this other shit. Like there's this, I mean, it's amazing to consider, you know, you have the advertisers that want everything to be, you know, no, we want to make sure we're getting perfect ROI, right? You got to get perfect or we got to get some kind of return on investment and all this stuff. But this desire for ROI is actually killing art because it's not letting anybody take any risks with all this. Now, you might think what I'm saying isn't necessarily anything new, maybe, but I don't think people realize the timeline of what's going on and that a lot of this was really getting tried. A lot of this remixing and figuring out this algorithm, I think, was getting tried throughout the aughts, and that's why the aughts seem like it has, it has no style, because they were, they were really trying to put this all together for the very first time of how do we make, how do we make the perfect song? How do we make the perfect movie? How do we make this? How do we make that? And then they figured that out. And the same technology that allowed them to figure out what the perfect movie is or the movie that, that can, you know, whatever, get all the, all, you know, that, that can get all the copper tops in America. And you know what I mean by copper top, right? Remember that risk, the matrix, you know, you can get all the dunderheads. Okay. They can, you know, th they'll fall for it every time and they'll lay down the money or whatever. And, you know, but now what happened is that same technology that allowed them to come up with that algorithm and that was collecting all that data allowed for the democratization of all that data to where piracy could be a thing. And so <laughs> here's Hollywood flipping out saying, oh, fuck, you know, we figured out how to make the perfect movie and get everybody into, you know, make all this money off of a movie. But then other people figured out how to get it for free. Shit. <laughs> right. I mean, this is pretty much what happened. It, I mean, this is really broad scope stuff, but you got to look at, you really have to big picture it. There's fine detail involved. So you can't just 30 foot the whole thing, but you really got to big picture this. And you know, most, most people don't give a shit and most people, you know, don't have the history or have lived through it to, to be able to see that. So let me look at the YouTube chat here quick. Um, it was Don Blue's last movie. I think uh, that being Titan AE, what a shame, what a shame. Because that is such a gorgeous fucking style of animation. Uh, I miss Don Bluth. I, I miss those kinds of movies. But we still have Titan AE. So, great. Uh, I work in a high school. The 90s are back. Every other kid is in a jean jacket. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I've noticed this. I mean, and I'm not, like, displeased. Because I get to take advantage of it. 
And if younger people, you know, I mean, even people in their twenties or something like that, if they're all into the 90s, eighties and nineties and shit dynamite, I get to hang out with them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so <laughs> whatever, <laughs> cause I'm into their shit, baby. <laughs> like, like I, I, I'm a walking encyclopedia of the eighties and nineties. That's, that's the, I, you know, the eighties and nineties, like they, they all, it all came together like the midichlorians for Anakin Skywalker and boom, Brian Sovereign was born. <laughs> so hey great like i'm not going to complain about that one but yes you're right the 90s are back i I agree in fact i was seeing somebody i've seen young people walking around wearing like def leopard shirts and shit and i'm like oh great (laughs) you know i sure as hell didn't complain uh let's see yep i was just thinking the other day that we'll never get another ralph batchy Ooh, good oh man deep cut uh the american audiences today could have poorer tastes too yeah no well they i'd I think most American audiences have never really had great taste. Uh, frankly, you know, there was a time where American, like say music could, could really flourish. Uh, and, and they were into stuff then, but well, anyway, that's another conversation. Uh, you don't like 3d animation. Um, I do if 3d animation. If you mean like, like CGI animation and stuff like that, I, I do like that. Um, actually another one of my favorite movies that didn't come out too much after Titan AE, was uh, Final Fantasy The Spirits Within. I think that's a great movie. I, I think people are crazy when they rip on that film. That film is is majestic. That film is brilliant. That film is, I mean, there's nothing else like it. Not really, other than maybe part of the Animatrix where they use the, the, the same uh, 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 polygons <laughs> as, as what they used for uh, Dr. Aki Ross in... Um, you know, actually from, from, uh, from final fantasy spirits within, I mean, and again, that has, that movie has nothing to do with final fantasy. I mean, it has absolutely fucking nothing to do with it. Uh, no, I, I think that's a, um, just a masterful film. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I can dig it, but that's the thing is that, and, and I have to pay attention to this. So final fantasy, the spirits within was this movie. When did that come out? 2001, 2002, something like that. This movie was the first real attempt, real attempt to make CGI characters look alive and look like a human being, you know, hair pores on the skin, everything. And it did a, it did a pretty good job. Like, let's be honest here. That's part of the, the, the technological Marvel that that movie is. Okay. You know, it, it was trying for that. If there were a lot of movies, like if, if square studios, you know, before Squaresoft ended up merging with Square Enix and everything, and they dumped that whole idea because that movie didn't do money. Nowhere near the budget that was put into it because, I mean, that was so high tech at the time. If Square Studios kept going and they made more of those kinds of movies, if that kind of movie became popular, maybe I wouldn't look upon Final Fantasy The Spirits Within as so fondly and, you know, with, with so much um, respect because it, it would be like normal, Right. So I don't know. I mean, of course, there was the what is it? Uh, Advent Children, right? The Final Fantasy seven movie Advent Children. They use the same technology that that was great, too. But if there was like a ton of those movies, maybe I wouldn't look at them so well. Uh, I think, you know, bringing this kind of full circle um, about 3D, you know, 3D animation. OK, I think the PlayStation Classic might actually tell part of this story. One of the common complaints with the PlayStation Classic and with a lot of those games that are on there, even if people say they like the games, they're like, well, yeah, but these look like shit because it was like this really weird early days of 3D animation and so on. And that's true. I think there is something to the hand-drawn or to the two-dimensional. I, 
I, I don't know. There's, I think there's something in the brain that we don't really recognize. Okay. That when we see something like a two dimensional flat bit of art, say on a screen, you know, if we're watching Titan AE compared to watching 3d animation, like something out of Pixar, uh, which I mean, some of those are really great movies, but I, I, I don't know. There, there's something that, that sticks with us longer. There's something that allows that to age better. We give it more excuses for how it looks when it's not 3d animation. Okay. As I mean, it, which again is true with the PlayStation classic, compare that to the, to the SNES classic, right? The SNES classic, nobody argued about the graphics. They're like, Oh, you know, these graphics still hold up. This still all looks so good. But then you go to the 3d animation of the PlayStation and people are like, Holy crap, these games look like shit. Right. I, there's something there. I, I can't explain it and no one's ever bothered to explore it. you know, I guess that's why sovereign tech exists, but I can't exactly explain it, but I think there's something to that. Let me read more uh, from the, from the comments here. Um, Let's see. Uh, the, the aughts are when every previous decade collided. That's the style looking backwards. So it doesn't seem very distinct. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right on that, but I think part of that was intentional. Um, or it's not, but it's, and I think part of that is very intentional that they were trying to bring together every style because they were, they were really trying to mathematically figure out, okay, what is like this perfect piece of music or movie or whatever that we can put out there that kind of has everything and that will get everybody into the movies. And I think they figured it out that, well, they figured it out that works for the average person because of course the world is designed for the average, right? It's not designed for the people that figure all this shit out. It's not designed for, you know, the, the intelligent folk out there like listeners of sovereign tech. You know, I, I, I think they, they put it together and they did figure it out um, and they started running with it. But then the problem was, is that this, again, like I said earlier, the same technology is what allowed for it to be consumed for free. And so they got fucked. <laughs> but anyway, um, let's see. Have you seen the new Karate Kid TV series? Uh, if you're talking about Cobra Kai, that was brilliant. That was amazing. And I think Google was willing to be risky because YouTube Red was doing so terribly that they just took the shot and they said, right, you know, we, we got to go for it and, and just try and make something really, really special. Uh, and, 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 you know, they, they, I mean, it was just shotgun approach, you know? Uh, so yeah, the Cobra Kai's, I love the karate kid movies. I mean, I really love them, especially karate kid part two and, and part one was great too, but part two was great. I even liked the next karate kid with Hillary Swank. I thought that was awesome. Um, but yeah, the, the, the TV series or the, the YouTube series, Cobra Kai, which, you know, brings back Ralph Macchio and everybody, you know, it's a direct sequel to the actual Karate Kid movies. It's not a remake like with Will Smith's son, which I thought was horrible. Uh, you know, I mean, that that's that's doing huge, you know, rave reviews. I don't know if it's doing money. It might not be doing huge as far as views, but, you know, the critics are all loving it and everything because it was a risk that YouTube took because everything else that they were trying, they were trying the formula and all this stuff, you know, it just, it wasn't exactly working because people had to put money down first, right? They had to pay for it to be that. Um, but then when you're just trying to appeal to critics, well, something like Cobra Kai would end up working. Um, that mid nineties movie by Jonah Hill was horrible. Um, I'm not sure if I remember what that one is, but anyway, regardless, uh, yeah, this is a great conversation to, to, to have because it's everything it's entertainment, it's tech, it's ethics, it's philosophy and so on. 
uh lol why didn't you like the 2010 new karate kid was because it was too cookie cutter yeah it's kind of the same thing in fact if you listen to last week's sovereign tech prime episode where i was talking about with creed 2 um it felt too much by the numbers too much paint by numbers sometimes that can work if you add in a little more style for example comic book movies are cookie cutter now comic book movies all have the same fucking formula you're watching the same film most of the time you're watching the same exact movie from marvel no matter what character that they slap into it. The only thing they can do is bring in a certain style that makes it a little more interesting, right? Like black Panther makes it a little more interesting because you get the Wakanda, you know, style and everything and you get all that. Um, but otherwise black Panther is just like every other fucking comic book movie. And, and that's boring now. Um, or another example would be Dr. Strange. You bring in so much weird visual style and all that. And granted Benedict Cumberbatch is a hell of an actor. You bring that in and, oh, this was very exciting. It's no different than, I don't know, pick your, pick your fucking comic book movie. It's no different than the last one that came out, but it just has a more unique visual style that it worked. So if you're going to go paint by numbers, you can do that and you can still make something that I think is artistic and worthwhile, but it's got to be radically different in style or it has to have some essence of cool, which is very tough. That's the it, right? That everybody's always looking for. You have to have some kind of sense of cool. And that 2010 Karate Kid movie just didn't have it. I mean, it just didn't, you know, and, and it's nothing against Will Smith or his son. It, it, the movie just didn't fucking have it. Um, loved Cobra Kai. It was so much better than I was expecting. Yeah, same here. Granted, I didn't have high expectations. So, you know, that's something to bring in as far as that goes. But I thought Cobra Kai was fucking brilliant. You know, I, I really, really enjoyed that. Uh, and I mean, and you know, that's another thing, too, where like. <laughs> you know when were you when did you ever expect to see johnny and daniel you know daniel LaRusso, you know <laughs> hitting the mat again it was just like with creed 2 where it's like holy shit it's it's 2018 and i am seeing ivan drago and rocky balboa back in the ring what <laughs> i mean that's pretty incredible in itself but just creed 2 had kind of too much uh you know going wrong with it um, as far as that goes or it, it was it was too paint by numbers and there wasn't enough style to make up for it okay um <sighs> Yeah. And, and, you know, funny, I mean, like, like I was talking about during my review on Sovereign Tech Prime last week, was that episode 304, um, where, you know, like Rocky kind of created this formula of, of, I think like what the masses can really love out of a superhero movie. It's ironic because it, it really did. Um, but I guess because it's first, it's still thought of in many ways as best, or people just don't realize that it created that formula and because it's different enough because it's not actually about comic book heroes. It, it's, you know, something that everybody can kind of watch and, and it doesn't fall prey to what a lot of people are rightfully so now complaining about like, Okay, like Venom was good, but that's it. It was just kind of good. Like, but you could tell, you could feel it in in your bones that it was just following some kind of a weird pattern that every other Marvel movie uh, was really following. So, anyway, wow, got a great turnout for this episode. Thanks so much, everybody. (laughs) We're still going. We we still got a good like fifteen minutes. Um, I can shift up the conversation here a bit. I was actually watching. Um, I was watching a great. Oh, let's see, we got a. Okay, I don't care for the comic book movies in general, but I much prefer the comics. Yeah, you know, this is all right. Let, let me talk about that for a second, and then I maybe I can share with you something else um, that uh, that I was actually watching just before uh, we started the show. But as far as preferring the comics, there is an argument like that Alan Moore makes, who's the guy that made Watchmen amongst a million other great things. Okay, there's an argument that he makes. He says that there are stories 
that require certain mediums, meaning like he actually now. So he's, he's very much into the occult and, and magic and all of this, right? Alan Moore is, he actually put some kind of a hex or like a curse on the Watchmen movie. So you might not want to watch the Watchmen movie because he, he cursed that fucking thing. And I don't know what the hell he did, but <laughs> not saying that I believe in magic. All right, wait, wait, wait. All right. Quick side tangent on that. I have noticed recently a lot of podcasts, a lot of podcasters, a lot of big, these bigger guys or whatever, um, who are espousing talking about the occult and they're not talking about it from like the, you know, from an objective perspective or whatever. They're talking about it as if they are practitioners and they are explaining it to you, the listener. Okay. About, um, you know, they're explaining it to you like as if this is what you can do if you wanted to practice the occult or magic or whatever in your life. Okay. I want to talk about this for a second. As somebody who I feel I can look at the, uh, you know, the occult and magic and a lot of that history from an objective perspective and have been doing so for a huge chunk of my life. Okay. Looking at it, you know, again, not, 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 not being a part of it, but you know, looking at it from the outside. Uh, it's pretty clear that in, you know, whatever scraps, genuine scraps that you can find from people that, you know, a few hundred years ago would have been practicing black magic or like things that are the occult and not just some pop occult, you know, that, that, that pulls from this and that is that you really can't tell you, you don't share this with the masses. And in fact, like it's not even, you know, by their own claim, it's not going to work if you're sharing it with more than one person, you yourself as say the, the teacher, I mean, it almost smacks of uh, star Wars, like the rule of two, you know, there's always the master and the apprentice and you can't have any more. Now that doesn't mean, you know, in, in magic and in black magic and the occult and so on, it's not like there can't be a bunch of masters and apprentices. Unlike in star Wars with the Sith, where there can only literally be two people that are Sith. You can have a bunch of these, you know, little groups, but that's the thing is that, you know, a master really can only have one apprentice. Otherwise, you know, it doesn't work because the attention can't be paid the attention to, I'm going to use this phrase, the attention to intention, which is what magic is all about. Can't be properly done. Can't be properly expressed if there's more than, you know, more than two people involved. So, I'm just going to call it right here. I think most of these people that are espousing like some kind of occult spirituality or that they practice black magic and they want to show you on their podcast, how they're going about it. And they want to talk about it and everything. Um, I think they're all full of shit. I, I think they, they don't know a goddamn thing. They are pop occultists. I mean, they just, they don't, you know, because the other thing that it'll tell you, not only that you can only tell share it with one other person, but if you know about it, you don't fucking talk about it. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 fucking plain as day when you read some of the more genuine works and the further back you go go the more genuine you can think it is because you know at, there was a time where books weren't so uh, uh intertwined with marketing and making money uh it's it's really insulting shit and 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 i want you to be you know i I think I have some listeners who, I mean, I know you like when I talk about the occult and I understand I'm, I'm talking about it objectively and from a historical perspective, not from like, okay, this is what you do to engage in sex magic or something like that. That's not me. But I want, if you're listening to people who that is what they do, uh, treat that very specious. 
I, I, I want you to be like worried about those people because again, they are doing it wrong just from the get go. First off, they're doing it wrong because they're telling you about it, you know, like th- potentially thousands or maybe even millions of people in a podcast. And second, because they can't really show you anything because they're not, you, you know, again, th- their attention can't, they can't put all of their attention on the intention between, between two people and only between two people. And you can find this principle throughout any kind of supernaturalist belief. You know, hell, it's even in Christianity. Um, like, I mean, when Paul, when the apostle Paul would say, hey, you know, I know you want to get married and you want to fuck and you want to have sex. That's pretty much what he said. I mean, you can find it was this like in um, Corinthians. I think this is in maybe first Corinthians. So I know you want to do that. All right. But look, if you get married or if you get into a loving relationship, your connection with God will suffer better that you go through your life pretty much celibate and have this deeper connection with God. than you have to love to then, then, you know, being in love with two people, effectively being in love with God and being in love with your spouse, which is an interesting thing for, you know, and he even talks about like, like a single mother or, or like a, a single woman is a mother to all. Like a single woman, it's funny because in Western civilization, which is supposedly based off of Christian, you know, uh, concepts and beliefs, I guess they missed this part from Paul, where Paul makes it very clear that actually a single woman is far more blessed or not a single woman, but a woman without children is far more blessed because she's a mother to everyone. And that that's a very beautiful thing. And she expresses it through God. So even the, you know, not the evil occultists, even the good guys know (laughs) that she that you have to like that, that this, this, uh, a relationship, you know, like a really, really powerful relationship with say the divine or black magic or, or magic or, or some kind of supernaturalism can only really happen between two at a time. Doesn't mean you can't have another person, you know, you can have, you can have serial monogamous black magic teaching. Okay. <laughs> but that's, I just love it. I mean, these guys, most of these guys, they have podcasts about magic. I mean, they're just greasing their palms. They're, they're so full of crap. You know, so anyway, I, I got on a, on a tangent. I did not uh, anticipate getting on there and I'm trying to remember where the fuck I was. And because I'm doing this live, I can't always keep track of that. Um, oh, I know what we were talking about. We were talking about Alan Moore. Okay. That's how we got talking about magic. Um, so Alan Moore is like, he thinks that the Watchmen movie is horrible, which Watchmen is considered one of the greatest comic books of all time. I don't think it's unfair to say. And his claim is, is that you can't do it any other way. Like Watchmen had to be done as a comic book. And if you try to do it in any other medium, audiobook, novel, movie, TV show, it's a bastardization of the art and of what the person brought into the world of, of the creation. In this case, Alan Moore's creation with Watchmen. And I think that's a very fair point to make is that to really get the power of comic books, all of these movies by and large are a pale shadow of what the comic books deliver to you or what they can deliver to you. Okay. Um, you know, I mean, you could say there's great comic book movies out there. There are no doubt about it though. They are wholly different, you know, than what, than what the comic book generally delivers. For example, great comic book movie, greatest comic book movie of all time, right? 78 Superman, the 78 Superman. He's not taking on Metallo. He's not taking on dark side. He's not taking on any of that stuff. And the original 78 Superman, who's he taking on? He's taking on a human being with like, you know, access to nuclear weapons, right? Because that's what works in cinema. 
<laughs> as to where, you know, you can't like develop the villains in the same way. And I think that's why a lot of people feel, fuck, you know, all these Marvel movies. Yeah, they're, they're great, but the villains are always getting the short shrift and they don't, they don't work. And that's because to develop both a hero and a villain. Okay. I mean, it's like the old Chimera and Bellerophon, right? You know, to create the ultimate hero, you have to create the ultimate villain, you know, the Chimera. And to do that, you've got to have monthly entries you know you got to do a, you have to do a comic book style to create these really great villainous characters that define the hero right like i mean how does batman have the joker hell i was told, i was quoting the joker at the beginning of the episode okay how do you, you know how does batman have the joker and like this grand cast of villains that he gets to take on which allows him to even be the hero it's because comic books can come out far faster than any movie can or tv show or a novel or anything else it's a medium that that can really get done quick and so, yeah, it's true. Like comic books are absolutely by, by their very nature are superior to the films. They have to be because, you know, just the way that they get distributed, the speed with which they can, can get done and the time in the very unique way that they can present all of the characters and not just the hero. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's, that's totally on. Um, let's see, let me read a little bit more from the, uh, read a little bit more from the, from the YouTube chat. Um, it's amazing that we got adaptations of less popular comic books in the nineties, like the crow that would never happen today. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, you know, again, that, that goes back to that risk that people were willing to take still at the time in the nineties. I think the idea of like a prestige film is largely dead. And I've talked about prestige films a lot where movie studios would literally make movies that they knew were not going to make money. And it was just to please the critics that that is gone. Or at least that's all I can believe is that that is completely gone. Now everything has to make money. It has to be lowest common denominator. So you can't get great art just because of that, but it has to be lowest common denominator. It can't be something that is to please the critics. They just, you you know, you can't do that anymore. And that's a shame. You know, I, this is where, I mean, (laughs) There are alternative economic models to capitalism that complain that this is the very nature and problem with capitalism is that it does lead to where, you know, like the concept of having of losing money off of creating something great becomes anathema. I am not saying I agree with that. I am just saying I do think that that's happening in Hollywood. That doesn't mean that that happens across the board. Don't say, oh, stallions and anti-capitalists, holy shit, well, I can't stop, I can't listen to this guy anymore. You're Listen to what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that this is what other people think. Okay? So that's an argument that gets made. But anyway, I love Watchmen movie and graphic novel. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't watched it since, uh, since I found out about the hex, so I can't really say. <laughs> Uh, a mother to everyone interesting do you think there would ever be a sandman film i i think a sandman film has been tried many times neil gaiman's work has been turned into either a movie or a tv show uh over and over again i mean i'm i'm shocked that when american gods was so popular that there hasn't been like a sandman tv series option by hbo or something uh but that's one you know with sandman that's one where i think it would it would lose it would lose itself becoming either a tv show or a or a movie because that is so weird that relies so much on the surreal art of the page you know now sandman has kind of turned into its own i mean i know it's part of the greater like or it became part of the new 52 became part of the greater dc universe you know originally it wasn't um 
you know, now like it, the characters are treated just like other comic book characters. But at the time, Sandman was really like weird shit. And the art style was just as important as the words being put on the page. Okay. So I think that would lose something if it did become that. I love Sandman. I, but I, I honest me personally, and if you want to see it, that's great. I'm just saying me personally, I, I, I don't care to see a movie or, or, or TV show, uh, you know, made, made from Sandman. So, um, we're actually at the five o'clock. Normally I only run an hour and, and we are, we are totally at that hour. Uh, <laughs> I do want to, I, I want to share something with you and I'm going to put the link in actually in the YouTube chat here. So give me a second while I do that and bingo, there it is. And if I think of it, I will also put it in the show notes for this episode, which by the way, because I'm going to have so much content coming out later tonight, this this episode, the audio of this episode, which usually I release an hour or two after the hangout is done. Um, I'm not going to release until tomorrow. So those of you that were watching live, you don't have to wait. You got to see, you got to hear it live and see it live and you got to interact with me, uh, of course. Anyway, so the Ted talk that I just, and that it is a, it is a Ted X talk. I should be specific about that. The YouTube link that I just shared in the video of this. Uh, and like I said, I'll try and put it in the show notes for the audio version of this episode as well is a talk about 17 minutes um, by Brad Gibson, who is, you know, in the world of astrophysics, I mean, this guy is right now, he is really a giant. Um, I mean, he, this is not, you know, it's a TEDx and sometimes it seems like they'll let anybody talk at a TEDx talk. Fuck. They they gave Eric Bischoff (laughs) a TEDx talk. I couldn't believe it. So it's like, it seems like anybody can talk TEDx, right? Uh, But this guy's totally the real deal. You know, not, I mean, he is hardcore science as it gets and so on. He gave a great talk that I would love everybody to check out. Um, I'd put it in the newsletter, but I'm not going to be re- I'm not going to be restarting the newsletter uh, just yet. So and I don't want you to wait for it. But he gave a great talk where he talks about again, we're talking about one of the top astrophysicists in the world. And he's saying he's like, look, I'm a romantic at heart and I'm hoping that there's alien life out there. You know, and I get it. And even, in fact, you know, putting it together with the conversation we were just having, he was saying, he says, look over the past seven years at the top grossing films every year. And it's all about aliens like coming to Earth or something like that. He says he knows everybody wants to see this. He said, but we need to deal with the harsh reality that we actually might be alone in the universe. And he brings up what I've brought up many times of what it takes to, you know, for for life complex life like ours and and again we're not just talking about simple animal life or something like that we're talking complex conscious life sapient life he says what it takes for all that to come together is like a level of perfection that he he doesn't think we can even really understand right now and also that you know he brings up all of these catastrophic events that happen within the milky way galaxy alone and you know basically that it's a minor miracle and this might be a topic for a future user podcast but it's a minor miracle that we haven't been wiped out, you know, on planet earth, just from some kind of, you know, galactic event. Okay. And he's bringing all that up to say, look, the pragmat, the pragmatist in me is what he's saying says we're probably alone. And if we're actually going to find life, we're, we're going to find it not way out there. He says not to dissuade anyone from looking way out there, but we're going to find it probably on the moons of Jupiter or something along those lines. We'll only find it within our own solar system. All points that I've been making, and this talks from 2017, just last year, all points that I've been making for throughout the entire run of Sovereign Tech for six, seven years now. 
And it was really vindicating to watch that and hear that. And I kind of just like caught it as a lark. Like it was just something off to the side. I was like, oh, like, uh, let's see what this person says about why we can't find aliens. And it was beautiful to hear from a guy, uh, uh, you know, of such, honestly, such prestige and, and uh, you know, obvious intelligence like Brad Gibson to more or less confirm what I've been saying for quite some time about why there isn't so much alien life out there. And I thought that that was, I mean, it's really dynamite. I definitely recommend um, everybody check that out. It's interesting. You know, I could be wrong. Brad Gibson could be wrong on all that. And the people that think there's alien fucking life everywhere might end up being right. But it's good to get a little sobering look at that. And from somebody who honestly, you know, has credentials and is, uh, well, I don't know if I want to say smarter, but certainly more interested um, than I am <laughs> in, in the subject and certainly more knee deep in the subject uh, than I am. So, so I, I appreciated, you know, really, really seeing that. And I, I definitely recommend you, you check that out. Uh, and, and it does well anyway. And, and, you know, and then pay attention to that is how much of our, you know, like quest for alien life and all that is merely what if it's so much pushed just by the entertainment industry because it gives them an interesting, you know, an, an interesting foil or an interesting narrative vehicle to run with something to consider. But uh, anyway, so let, I'll, all right, I will wrap this up now, uh, but I, I just I want you to check out that TEDx talk. Um, I was I was really, really just just blown away by hearing somebody put it all together um, so well you know, that, that, that whole conversation around where is alien life. Uh, and it was very contrarian, which I think is good because it does seem like every Ted talk about alien life is like, Oh yeah, we're going to find it. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, and to have somebody finally come in and say, Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> hold on. You know, this is, we, we live in a very, very mean and nasty universe. And, uh, you know, it might not be, it's, it might not like life, <laughs> not that it has consciousness, but it might not like life. And, you know, things can just fall apart very quickly uh, with these, you know, various galactic events. So anyway, okay. I'm going to leave you with that. Uh, thank you so much for everybody that participated. It was really, really, I mean, really dynamite to have so many people involved uh, in, in this episode. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll wrap it up there. And you've got, you got more content coming out. If you're listening, if you're listening to this live, there's more sovereign tech coming out tonight. You just wait for it, baby. And uh, all right, I'll wrap it up. I will see all of you on the other side. <laughs>